Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. I think after that song, I ought to say, Oh, brother, where art thou? I'm glad thou art here. It's good to see all of you. Thank you for joining us online and for sharing our services each and every week. It's great to see you, great to have you in the room. And this, really, this series is about trying to reorient our church here in our 25th year to the foundational, fundamental truths of what God would have us do as a church. And you always do that by going back to his word, just back to the basics. It's like I told you last week when the Packers were beaten, uh, Vince Lombardi held the football up and said, gentlemen, this is a football. We were beaten because we failed to do the fundamentals. And I think a church fails to impact its community and impact its region when it fails to do the fundamentals. Last week, I talked about the most basic thing, and that is where the Bible says we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I mean, you go all in. You say to God, I love you with all that I am. There's nothing left in me that could love you more. Uh, people might be able to sing better than you, speak better than you. People might be able to be able to build better than you, to meet people and, you know, and to uh, sell better than you. But let me tell you, no one can love Jesus better than you. And so you say, Lord, I'm going to love you with all my heart, with all that I have, with all that I am. And then he said, the second command is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And this weekend, we're going to look at not only what Jesus said in the great command, but what he gave in the great commission. When he said to his disciples before he left the earth, it's all about reaching people. It's all about loving people. And so for a little while this morning, I want to challenge you to really one of the first fundamental truths of the Great Commission, and that's the idea that we are to reach people when they're reachable. Now, I say it that way because everyone's not reachable. I mean, when Jesus gave the parable of the sower who sowed on the field, some, he said, hit on hard, stony ground. I have friends, I have people in my world whose hearts are hard and not receptive. They're not at a place in life yet where they're open and receptive to receive the word. So you'll have people like that in your life as well. There are people that will have to go through a series of things in life to kind of break their heart up, to break the ground up, to get them open and more receptive to receiving the word. But that's not my problem. My problem is I have to be willing to sow the seed. I have to be willing to build the redemptive relationship to people who do not yet know Jesus. Now, here's the problem in church world. Can I talk about church world? Here's the problem in church world, and that is once a person connects with Jesus and once a person invites Jesus into their life, get this, within two years, they have virtually no friendships with people who don't know Jesus. It's almost like we step in the church, we're in, so we close the door behind us. We don't say this, but a lot of churches you could say, us for no more, shut the door. And many churches have become conclaves for the completely convinced. Just big old glorified hotels for the saints instead of hospitals for the sinners. And so it's important that us pastors come back out from time to time to remind us, gentlemen, this is a football. This is the fundamentals of what we are to do. We are to reach people, folks, who don't know Jesus. If some church somewhere didn't have that philosophy, none of us would know Jesus. Somewhere in our life, some church sometimes said, we're going to be about reaching people who do not know Jesus. And as a result of that, those of us who know Jesus, we now know him. 
So our responsibility and our opportunity is to invite people who do not yet know Jesus to know him. Back in the 80s and 90s, Ford Motor Company, were, they were in a crisis, and so they selected Donald Peterson to be the CEO. And when he took the helm of Ford Motor Company, he began to try to assess why this company, this great historic American company, was in trouble. In fact, he wrote a book about it called A Better Idea. And in the book, he kind of summarized what he discovered had happened to Ford Motor Company, and what he said basically was this, they lost sight of their mission, and they lost sight of their vision. And guys, what can happen to a company can happen to a church, it can happen to a family. When you lose sight of your mission and you lose sight of your vision, it isn't long until you're way, way off course. And so this series, again, is designed to reorient us to our mission and to our, our vision. Because we have an enemy, and the enemy is to create division. Division is two visions. And so he, he tries to create division, and he tries to get us distracted. He is the, uh, the master of using these weapons of mass distraction to get churches off of what their main mission is to be. And I'm going to suggest to you as I talk to you for a little while this morning that on the leading edge of our church is the idea of reaching people who don't know Jesus. And the effectiveness of it comes when we reach them when they're reachable. Now, just before Jesus ascended, he reiterated this to his disciples. Acts chapter 1 records it. Matthew 28 records it. In fact, if you have a Bible, you might join me there in Matthew. Let's look at Matthew 28. And in Matthew 28 and verse 18, Jesus said to them, All power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now when you read the Bible and you see the word therefore, look and see what it's there for. It connects what he's about to say with what he just said. Jesus said, all this power and all this authority, the authority of heaven and the authority of earth has been given to me, therefore. Here's what we're to do with it. He said, therefore, go, go. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you all way, even to the end of the age. So the last thing Jesus says, his last words on earth, according to the Acts 1 record, just before he ascends into heaven, is he reminds his apostles of this command. He says to them, I want you to go. I want you to go. I want you to go to everyone. Don't leave anyone out. Go into all nations. It is for the Jews. It is for the Gentiles. It's for everybody. Jesus said concerning those who come to him, he said, anyone, whosoever will, will come to me. Anyone who comes to me, he said, I will in no wise cast out. I don't care who you are or from where you come. When you make that step toward Jesus and you receive him as Savior, it doesn't matter what you've done. He will receive you. So the message of the church, the leading message, the doormat, the open door, the front door of the church is to connect people who do not yet know Jesus. So to do that, number one, we have to see the people around us. We have to see the people around us. Sometimes in church world, we get tunnel vision. And it really is just about us. It's a tendency we have. In fact, when you read Acts 1 and you read the record of Jesus giving those famous last words to his apostles, look up in verse 6. Just before he ascends, they want to engage him in a discussion on prophecy. <laughs> they say, when is the end time? When are you going to establish your kingdom on the earth? Now, don't get me wrong. I love prophecy. 
I believe in my estimation, the next event, prophetic event on the calendar of eternity is the second coming of Jesus for his own called the rapture of the church. I firmly believe the only thing that's holding the rapture of the church back is the body of Christ here on the earth is not yet completed. And I believe there is one someone known in the mind of a sovereign God who will receive Jesus and when they do receive Jesus, I think the father will look at the son and say that was the last one, go get them. And 1 Thessalonians 4 says, the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and those who've died in Christ. What a time. They'll rise first, and then we which are alive and remain should be caught up. We get the word raptures, to be caught up. We'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Don't get me wrong, I love that. I love studying prophecy. One of our teachers, Elaine Burton, she teaches a whole series on prophecy. We love it, we teach it, but I'm suggesting to you that sometimes once you're in the door and you've received Jesus and you're a part of the church, we get more interested in things like that instead of the main thing that Jesus challenged them to, and that's reaching people who don't know Jesus. And you can do both. Just like you can chew gum and walk. (laughs) You can be evangelistic while you are discipling. But I'm just suggesting to you the tendency is, is to do one at the exclusion of the other. And to take pride in the fact that, man, I just wanna go deep, I just wanna get deeper in the word, I just, it's just about me and what I'm able to grow and what I'm able to know. And I found in my life, the deeper you go, the wider you get. Read Mark chapter three, verse 14. The Bible says Jesus called the 12 to be with him, get this, so that he might send them out to preach. The purpose of the gathering is so that we can be strong and encouraged so that when we break out of this holy huddle, we can share Jesus with somebody that doesn't know him. It's about both. And I can tell you this morning, if the only time that you worship and if the only time you're in his word is when you're in a church on a weekend, that ain't enough. There's not a church that can meet all your worship needs. There's not a pastor that can give you all you need in one sermon to get you through your week. It ain't possible. I'll illustrate it. When we break out of this huddle, you go grab you some dinner, get you a big old lunch, maybe hit babes, get you some fried chicken, some mashed potatoes, the biscuits, get you some of that honey and that corn. Praise Jesus. He's preaching now. And you get all that. You just eat till you waddle back to your car. And then when you get there, listen, you tell yourself, that's it. I'm not eating for the rest of the week. Tell yourself that. I got everything I needed right here. Right here in this wonderful uh, first church of babes fried chicken, I got everything I needed in that one meal to get me through that week. Let me tell you what I know about you because it's true of me. Along about halftime in that uh, football game between the Saints and and, uh, Brady's, whatever they are, Long about halftime, your stomach's gonna start telling your brain, feed me. (laughs) And you're all of a sudden gonna feel this gnawing inside of you, this hunger pain is gonna start hitting you, and you you will not make it through today without feeding a brother. You're gonna eat something. And you're gonna wake up tomorrow hungry, and you're gonna eat, and you're gonna go to bed, and you're gonna wake up the next day hungry, and you're gonna feed. What am I point? My point is, it doesn't work for you physically. Listen, it doesn't work for you spiritually. And I'm just suggesting to you that you and I have to get in his word. And when we get in his word, the more of his word that absorbs our life, the more like him we become. 
And once I'm in his word and I'm disciplined every day, I worship him every day, then I come to church bringing my worship with me. It isn't where my worship commences, it's where my worship continues. And can you imagine if every Christ follower brought that intensity of worshiping every day into the room when they got there, we wouldn't have to spend a whole service just getting us to a point we should have been when we walked through the door. And the reality is that once a church is really tuned in to loving God in that way, to worshiping him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, listen, the natural result is we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. When I love God as I should, I'll love you as I ought. And one of the things that happen when I press into God and I understand the heart of God is, listen, I start loving who he loves. And he loves the world. For God so loved the world. So I'm suggesting to you that the heart of a church and one of the fundamental things of a church is we have to be about reaching the people that Jesus died for. Reaching the lost. In order to do that, guys, you have to have a relationship with them. I said the tragedy of knowing Christ for many people is they have virtually no relationships with people who don't know Christ within the first two years of their newfound faith in Jesus. We tend to alienate, insulate. And I'm just suggesting to you that that's a tragedy because every one of us who know Jesus, please hear how I say this, we should be building a redemptive relationship to people who don't know Jesus. I have a lot of friends in my life who don't know Jesus, and they know what I do. And we're friends. I hang out with them. I enjoy hanging out with them. And I'm just suggesting that I'm with them and I have opportunities from time to time to share my faith with them. And one of these days, their hearts will open and they'll be receptive. And I want to be the guy there to introduce them to Jesus when that moment happens. But I don't get that relationship if I'm not, I don't get that opportunity rather if I don't have that relationship. So my point is, guys, we, you and I ought to be building these redemptive relationships with people who don't know Jesus. It ought to be on the leading edge of the, all that we do as a church. We ought to be trying to reach people, praying they get the opportunity to be reachable. I said earlier, people really can't be reached until they're reachable. The hearts are hard sometimes. The mind is closed. But you know what happens oftentimes in the life of a person? God will use a tragedy. He'll use an event in their life. Maybe a relationship or a job or a financial reversal or a physical thing or a grief, the loss of someone in their life to tenderize them, to soften them up. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 5? He said, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. You're better to go into heaven with one than into hell with two. He said, if your right arm offends you, cut it off. You're better to go into heaven with one than into hell with two. Now, let me tell you what he wasn't saying when he said that. He wasn't saying, I'm a sovereign sadist that takes pleasure in people's pain. Here's what he was saying. He was saying, if it takes tragedy, if it takes a tragedy in your life to bring you to Jesus, he is more just and loving to allow that tragedy than to let you go merrily on your way into eternity without him. I could give you many illustrations. One was from a man in our church. And he told me, he said, Bill, I don't know that I would have ever looked up. I don't know that I would have ever trusted God had I not hit the bottom. He said, I was on a roll, company was good, money was good, family was good, I'm in good shape, good health, all these wonderful things. He said, you know what, the last thing on my mind was God. The last thing on my mind was church. 
He said, I, I believe in God. I, you know, I know he's out there and I, you know, I, you know, and I, you know, all that. But he said, I, I, I didn't honor him. I didn't, you know, none of that was important. The Bible prayer, none of that was important. Look, until the wheels of my life came off. And I was faced with something that was bigger than me. And flat on my back, I realized I need God. If your right eye offends you, Jesus said. The point he was making is that it took that to bring him to a point where his heart was open and his mind was open to hear the gospel and to receive Jesus. All I'm saying is as a church, we have to align ourselves with people and be sensitive to what they're going through to find opportunities and occasions to tell them about Jesus. In fact, before he ascended, he said concerning our role in Acts 1-8, he says, you're to be a witness, a witness. Do you realize the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior, you're a witness? Now, you may not be a good one, <laughs> but you're a witness. I mean, there are good examples of good examples, and there's good examples of bad examples, but we're all witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness expresses an experience. A witness is someone who's called the court to say, I saw this, I heard this, I know this. And all you're doing when you are witnessing is you are expressing an experience. You're saying to someone, look, this is what God did for me. I'm sorry you're going through this. Man, I'll pray for you. I love you. I'm here for you. And by the way, God helped me through one of the deepest moments of my life. And if he did that for me, he can help you. That's witnessing. It's being sensitive to people and finding those opportunities to share your faith with someone who may become receptive at a moment that you don't even realize. It's pressing into the heart of God and being sensitive to the opportunities he gives us every day. Acts chapter 8, there was a man named Philip who was walking with God and loving God and serving God, not unlike anyone in the room or anyone watching me. They were doing all they knew to do to have a strong faith in God. And one day God caught Philip away and sovereignly put him in the path of a man who needed Jesus. This man was a treasurer of Candace, who was the queen of Ethiopia. And get this, he had been to the most religious city in the world and left as empty as when he got there. Every time I think about him, I wonder how many people go to church and leave as empty as when they got there. He went to this religious city, Jerusalem, and he walks away from the religious city, unable to connect the dots. In fact, when you read it in Acts 8, he's, he's reading Isaiah. He's reading of the coming of Jesus who would go to the cross and die. And so God sovereignly puts Philip in his path. God brings this man who is searching for Jesus into contact with a man who knows Jesus. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the response of the man was, how can I unless someone guides me? That's the point of a witness. Someone said sharing your faith is more, nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. That's it. They doesn't mean we're better than anyone else. We're not. Listen, the best any of us will, the best will ever be are sinners saved by grace. I'm just saying, guys, as a church, if we get away from the fundamentals of loving God and loving each other and reaching the lost, we've lost sight of vision and we've lost sight of our mission. It's why God left us here on this earth, is to reach the lost. I read an interesting stat this last week. Do you know 2.8 million people live in Tarrant County right now? 
Now, as a Fort Worth boy, that blows my hat in the creek. I mean, that just, I just, I cannot get over that. 2.8 million. That's a lot of people. Man, when I discovered Texas back in 58, <laughs> there weren't that many people. And it's amazing how many, but, but what was even more compelling to me is, listen, less than half that number identify as a church member or identify as even someone who attends church. Less than half. Well, that means there's 1.4, 1.5 million people out here in Tarrant County who aren't in anybody's church. Now think about all the churches. We have some great churches in our area. Man, that's the problem a lot of people have is there's so many good ones. And I'm friends with, man, I know most of the guys out here and in this area. I've been, like I said, I've been around this a long time. And I know these great churches doing wonderful ministry. But you know what? If every church, even the new startups that are getting exact, if every one of us, all these churches, if we all ran 10,000 people every weekend, you still wouldn't reach that many. You still wouldn't reach that number. It's a huge number. It's an incredible number when you think about it. And what's incredible is when those same people who don't attend church, when they were asked, would you go if somebody invited you? 70% of them said, yeah, I probably would. That's what I'm saying, you never know when you share the message. You never know what heart is open and what mind is receptive. You never know when you invite someone to come to the service and sit with you where that person is spiritually. You, never, you, you, you don't know. So one of the things Jesus said before he ascended back to the Father, he just said, I want you to go. Understand there's people around you who need Jesus. Number two, and quickly, there's not only people around us, but there's a power within us. You know what he said? He said, all power is given in heaven and earth. And then he said in Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. When you receive Jesus and the Holy Spirit becomes a reality in your life, listen, you have everything you need to do everything God's called you to do. Our church has everything it needs right now to be the church he's called us to be. We've got all we need. We've got his power. His power to forgive sin, his power to expand, his power to give us creative ideas to do ministry in a new way in this new world that we're living in. I mean, God has, there, there's nothing that we need that he doesn't have. So he was telling the guys as he was ascending into the clouds, he was saying, there's people around you, you need to go, and you're going to receive power, and you're going to receive the power to do what I'm commanding you to do. Can I say this about that? There's nothing God will call on you to do that he doesn't equip you, enable you, and empower you to do it. You've got everything you need right now. You don't need someone else. You don't need something else. You have all you need right now through the presence of his Holy Spirit to do everything he's created you to do. So, there's people around us. There's a power that is within us. Thirdly, there's a protection that's before us. He said, I'm with you. I got your back. I got your front. I'm with you. There's nothing I'm going to send you into that I won't be with you when we go through this together. Hebrews 13, 5, he said, I, I'm with you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. So we know as a church, as we try to engage and we try to reach people and we try to love people and we try to accept people and we try to share our faith with people, we understand this. We're going to need protection. You know why? Because there's an enemy 
And any time a church aligns itself with what God is blessing, the enemy will attack that church and he will attack those people because where God is building, the devil will be at work blasting. The biggest tactic of the enemy, listen, is to keep people away from Jesus. And when you become intentional and our church becomes purposeful in this idea of connecting people who do not know Jesus, all hell comes against a church like that. I remember what the Apostle Paul said, Galatians 6, verse 7. He said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The word marks in the Greek is stigmata. I bear in my body the stigmata. Now, you had to understand what he meant by what he said by understanding the culture of that day. And in that day, when kings would go to battle, they would fight in the forefront with their army. And so the enemies knew that if I'm going to discourage the people and turn the battle in my favor, if I can take the king out, if I can take the leaders out, I probably can turn the tide and win the war. So all the troops knew that. Everybody knew the arrows of the enemy were trained on the king. And listen, if you didn't love your king and you didn't love your cause, the last place you want to be is close to the king. Because you're going to get shot at. They're not really shooting at you, they're shooting at him. And so once the battle was won and once the king rode back into the city victorious, the warriors who stood by his side bravely, unashamedly, they bore the wounds, proof that they stood close to their king when the fire fight was fiercest. And Paul said, I gladly bear in my body the stigmata of the Lord Jesus. I've walked close to my king. What's my point? My point is when Isaiah said, no weapon shall be formed against you will prosper, he didn't say there wouldn't be weapons formed against you. He just said they won't prosper. He didn't say the enemy won't come at you. He just said he won't defeat you. So I'm just suggesting to you that we have a protection when we're following his will and we're involved in his work, we have a protection because he is with us. Let me give you this last thought. The last thought is we have his prayer above us. Did you know the God of heaven is praying for us? I encourage you to read John 17 in its entirety. It covers the beautiful prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross. And his thoughts were not only on how his father had blessed him and how his father had anointed him and how his father had ordained him in his ministry on the earth, but his thoughts turn and it turns toward his followers. And he says, I pray for them, verse 9. They're still in the world. He said, I'm about to ascend. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to come out of that grave, and I'm going to ascend. But they're still going to be here. They're not leaving. And I'm praying for them. I'm praying that you'll protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be as one as we're one. Can I tell you that's essential? Unity. They may be as one. One of the tactics of the enemy is divide and conquer. He tries to get people to turn on people. That's the way, way works. That's why it's important that we're reminded what he said in Ephesians 6. He said, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual wickedness in high places. Get mad at the right one. Get mad at the devil. And I'm just suggesting to your heart this morning that the prayer of Jesus was that his people would be on the same page and they would be one. And look, verse 15, my prayer is that you not take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Don't call them home. The, there's still a job to do down there. They're my body on the earth. They're my people. So God, just protect them while they're doing what they're supposed to do from the evil one. 
Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them. Just, I'm the, we're the body of Christ. You thought about that. You say, what are we to do? We're to do what he did. Luke 19.10 said, the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. One of the things the religious crowd criticized Jesus over, he wore it as a badge of honor. You know what they criticized him for? Here it is. They said, you're a friend of sinners. You're a friend of sinners. And kind of as I kind of go back to where I started, sometimes there's a tendency we have in the church to forget that we were sinners uh, away from God just as we're still sinners with God. And we tend to look down our noses at certain people because they sin differently than we do. <laughs> and I'm just suggesting to you, friend, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we lose sight of that fact. We lose sight of that. We lose our love for the people who are lost and those who don't yet know Jesus. And Jesus said, man, that's not what I want you to do. I came for the lost. I came for you. I come for them. I came for them. And we're his body. We're to do what he did. In fact, when you read 132 contacts Jesus made that we know about in Scripture, and he made many more, but 132 that we're aware of. Get this, 122 of those contacts, uh, of those contacts were not in a religious setting, meaning they weren't on in the synagogue and they weren't on in the temple. 122 of 132 contacts, con <laughs> contacts that Jesus made on the earth, he made outside the walls of a religious establishment. We'd say the church today. What does that say? That said that he was who he was wherever he was. He found opportunities to share the love of God with people every day, everywhere he went. What are we to do? We're to do what he did, knowing that he is praying for us. The last verse I added, verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, Jesus said, but I'm praying also for those who will believe in me through their message. You know what that means? That means he's praying for people that you and I are going to invite to the church, some that we'll share the service with who will receive Jesus. As a result, he's already prayed for them. Isn't that incredible? So, friend, we have people in front of us. We have a power within us. We have the prayers above us. We have a protection that is around us. We have all we need to do what he's called us to do. Let me give this to you. I read about a tornado, I mean, a hurricane that had blown through a seaside uh, village. <clears throat> and after the hurricane was finished, um, this man went for a walk in the early morning hours of the day. And what he discovered is the sun was coming up on that storm-ravaged beach where tens and thousands of starfish that had washed ashore, most of them still alive. And so in the early morning hours, he just began to pick those little starfish up and throw them back out in the sea, saving them. A buddy of his joined him because they usually would walk down the beach early in the morning, and his friend came up on him and says, man, what are you doing? You know, I'm saving starfish. He goes, man, there's tens of thousands of those things. You can't save all those starfish. What difference does it make? And he held one in his hand and he says, makes a big difference to this one. And he put it back in the water. Yeah, there's 1.4 million people in Tarrant County. Sometimes it's easy to get overwhelmed. It's easy to say, what difference does it make? Let me tell you, it'll make a big difference in the people we can help and the people we can save. You know, nowhere in the Bible did Jesus call on us to be successful. Now stay with me. Nothing wrong with success. But the, he didn't call. He, he doesn't say, well done, thou good and successful servant. You know what he said? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave 
the increase. All God will let us do at the end of the day is plant a seed, throw out some water. He gives the increase. When Jesus established a church, you know what he said? On this rock, listen, I will build my church. It's not our job to build the church, it's his. And what I found is when we align ourselves with his commission and with his command, he begins then to bless what we're doing because we are doing what he's blessing. We can reach some people. We can reach them when they're reachable. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You said in Isaiah, it will never return void. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. So I pray for my friends today, help us to realize the most significant thing, the primary thing, the fundamental foundational thing we're to be about is reaching people who do not know Jesus, sharing our faith, being faithful at sowing and watering, being available, accessible. Father, I pray you'll give us that kind of heart. As the worship song we sang a moment ago said, break our hearts with the things that break yours. As you sat over Jerusalem, you said, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen would gather her little chickens, but you would not. Help us to have that heart, that compassion for people. May it burn brighter as we go into our 25th year than it did the first time we were in the high school in Carroll. I just pray, Father, for a new passion for people who don't know you. Finally, Lord, I pray for my friends, some in this room and many watching who've never trusted you as Savior. May this be the moment they swallow their pride and humble their heart and say, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart and forgive my sin. That's my prayer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.